Good morning, everyone. It has truly been a while since I've been up here. <laughs> uh, and uh, I don't get a lot of opportunity to uh, stand up here before you Sunday morning. Hopefully I'll get more as time goes on. But um, I just want to say uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, and I know that the leadership here and the whole ministry team thanks you for being here um, and attending and joining us for worship this morning. Especially if you're a visitor, um, please stick around. Uh, hopefully this will be of benefit to you spiritually. Um, there's something to be said about uh, preaching the week after someone like David Decker <laughs> or um, standing uh, beside uh, men like Neil and Hiram, who are amazing speakers. Hopefully I will uh, live up to that even just a little bit. Um, but most of all, uh, I hope that whatever I say, um, whatever you hear, you'll listen and, and uh, it'll apply to your lives and help you along the way in your spiritual journey. It's often difficult to relate to the great men of God, the courageous prophets of old, and the faithful servants of the Lord that we read of throughout the Bible. Their tales are filled with boldness and courage and incredible feats of faith, even sometimes supernatural miracles. And their righteous zeal is unmatched, and it seems almost oftentimes impossible for us to relate, let alone match, uh, today in our modern society, in our uh, everyday context of the 21st century. We think of people like Samuel, a judge who was over the nation of Israel, appointed first two kings, I would say, Two of the greatest kings, of course, Saul kind of fell off. But David, the greatest king, Samuel appointed these great men in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and 1 Samuel chapter 16. We think of Elijah, a great prophet of God, who defeated the priests of Baal in 1 Kings chapter 18. And he was even taken up in a fiery chariot. He didn't even die. He didn't taste death. God took him without him tasting death in 2 Kings chapter 2. What about Isaiah, the author of his titular book, often dubbed the Little Bible, for their incredible connections to the entire scheme of salvation, the story of God and his creation, mankind. The writing prophet, Israel's greatest king slash prophet, David, his psalms are the most quoted source material by Jesus Christ, our, our Lord and Savior. Solomon and his boundless wisdom and knowledge, which is still passed down today. And our, it's so great that it penetrates the secular world, the secular culture uh, uh, in the Western world. People have heard of Solomon's prophets, and they don't even know uh, Solomon's proverbs, and oftentimes when they recite it, in their everyday life context. They don't even know that it's from Solomon, oftentimes. But it is. 
and his wisdom, his wealth, and everything that, that he, he had, the blessings that he had from God, no one was like him before him, and no one will ever match up to him in the future, the Bible tells us. So yes, it is oftentimes hard for us to relate to these great people of faith. What we often forget when thinking about these great heroes of old is the fact that they also were humans. Yes, you know, some people, some of them uh, experienced supernatural miracles uh, through the power of God. But nevertheless, they were humans with flaws and shortcomings. They were not exempt from the difficulties of the flesh that we experience today as they proclaimed the messages of God and they lived out his will. In many ways, in many ways than not, we can more often relate to these prophets not through the great miracles and the incredible feats of faith and the supernatural deeds that they did, but through their imperfections and their sorrows. Right after Elijah defeated the 450, 450, we don't even have 450 in here today, 450 priests of Baal, he defeated them all. He did, did he not run and hide in fear for his life? In his grief, praying to God, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's, First Kings chapter 10. Or uh, chapter 19, verse 4. Did not the great king of David commit an atrociously underhanded murder of a faithful servant, his soldier, in order to get to his wife? And then when faced with his consequences of his sins, the death of his firstborn or his child, did he not fall to his knees asking God to spare the child in Bathsheba? The great king of Israel on his knees, begging for his child's life. Did he not write Psalm 51 as a repentant prayer to God for forgiveness and renewal? How many prophets wept for the fate of their unrepentant nation when no one would listen to them? How many men and women of God suffered in the face of pressure and outright persecution? Yet, yet, the people of God always persevered throughout history. Even when entire nations crumbled in front of them and their families torn apart in the final decades of the southern kingdom of Judah before the Babylonian invasion and exile, Habakkuk prayed these words. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off, from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. That's Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. How does one pray like this? Knowing Knowing the suffering that is to come, how does he pray like this to God? It is mine and all of our prayer, I hope, that our nation be led to, in, in right directions, as charged by Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, so that we may have peace in our time. 
that allows us to practice our faith and, and, and expand the borders of our kingdom without, without opposition and persecution. It is always our prayer that the society that we live in and its culture in which we find ourselves be at least be morally straight and ethically right. And that justice is always prioritized. We do our best to live in a way that is inoffensive and peaceful to the world while proclaiming that such can be achieved through Jesus Christ. But we are not naive, are we? How many of us here are fatigued, exhausted, tired from the constant pressure that we must endure while living in the world? How many of us are already buckling at the knees from the weights of the flesh of this physical life? the various responsibilities that this life throws at us that we have to juggle our entire lives? How many of us relate to Elijah, who after proclaiming the word of God so bravely, so well, is only met with hostility, death threats, persecution? How many of us can relate to David, Solomon, and other flawed men and women that we read of in the Bible who wrestled with the shortcomings of their own flesh. The gospel is indeed simple. There's no mistake in that, but it is not easy. What God is calling us to is often a heavy burden to bear. Again, not because the gospel is difficult or too complex for us to understand, but rather because we are called to a much higher standard than the world. So was the ministry of Jeremiah. A prophet called from before birth. A man who was tasked with the ministry of Israel. Even into the Babylonian exile, captivity. He is often called the weeping prophet. Because of the sorrowful nature of his message. He often proclaimed woes on the people of Israel for their hardened hearts. Unrepentant hearts. Unwillingness to listen and to obey God as most, if not all, of his proclaiming of God's word fell on deaf ears. In fact, Jeremiah was persecuted. He was ostracized. At one time, even kidnapped in one occasion. And that was only because he proclaimed the word of God. He was a man who did not relent in the face of pressure. But again, Jeremiah was also, like many, flawed. In examining Jeremiah's conversation with God in chapters 11 through 17 of the book of Jeremiah, we can see the the personal struggle of Jeremiah coming through in terms of uh, trying to come to grips with the existence of evil, unrighteousness, and the persecution and the hatred that he faced due to his ministry. To us Christians striving to live up to the standard of Christ, the standard of God amidst the various currents and and pressures of this life, of this world, Jeremiah's prayers resonate deeply. So this morning, let us examine three lessons, three reminders that we can get 
from Jeremiah's prayer in our passage today. Jeremiah chapter 15, verses 15 through 21. On how to deal with grief and disappointments. Those things that we face when we try to live by God's will. First reminder is that Jeremiah was transparent about his struggles. Jeremiah struggled like any other man. Just because he was a a major prophet does not mean that he was exempt from the hardships of this life. And he prayed, and he prayed to God. The Bible says, uh, the subtitle for this section is Jeremiah's Complaint. Now, that's not the same uh, complaint that we think of as, oh, I don't have anything to eat today in the fridge, so i got to go buy some. Like that's, that's a complaint that we think of oftentimes, but this is not the, the kind of complaint that Jeremiah was, was praying to God. It was rather Jeremiah's vocal expression of his, his hurt and, and his efforts to come to terms with what was happening around him. Back in Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 1 through 4, right after the proclamation of God's message to the people of Judah and Jerusalem, Jeremiah complains to God about the prosperity of the wicked. And later on in Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 10 through 18, which is where we are today, Jeremiah complains, quote unquote, once again to God while he talks or while he walks in righteousness, proclaiming the messages of God that he has reviled and persecuted for it. And he plainly asks God, why am I suffering? Why am I having to go through this? I am proclaiming your word in your name. Why am I suffering? He says in chapter 15, verse 18, will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? And he's talking to God. You know, we might flinch at that and think, oh no, you know, that's... Uh, isn't that sinful? That's, isn't that bad? That he's, isn't he doubting God? I don't think so. You can have the, the strongest faith and the strongest trust in God, but that doesn't mean that you will not suffer. That, that doesn't mean you will not face persecutions. That doesn't mean that you will find hardships in our lives, whether due to spiritual matters or physical. I don't think we should be critical of Jeremiah for quote-unquote, doubting God. Jeremiah is simply tired. He's hurt and wanting relief. I know for a fact that we all have felt that way. And though we do not pound on the ground and pound our chest and point at the sky and say, God, I blame you for all of this, we don't say that. But nevertheless, we think to ourselves sometimes, why must it be so? Why must we suffer for righteousness' sake? It's part of the reasoning process. God gave us that. Jeremiah, this great prophet of God that we read of and study even today, did not hide the fact that he was struggling to come to terms with all the evil in the world and all the suffering that existed around him. In fact, he prayed directly to God about these struggles. He didn't shove it aside or sweep it under a rug, and he didn't just let it build up over time. No, he went to God first when it was on his heart. He was, he was not ashamed of the fact that he was not perfect. He was not embarrassed of the fact that he was sometimes 
just simply unable to see the bigger picture that God was painting in all the things that were happening around him. We see many examples of this kind of transparency with God in all of our biblical heroes. We were of David. He remembered God upon his bed and meditated on him in the watches of the night, Psalm uh, 63, verse 5 through 6. He was never too far from God, from both the law and God himself. Psalms like Psalm 6, 31, 51, 142. There are just a few examples of David opening up to God about his struggles, being very transparent about his sins, his shortcomings, his doubts in his mind. Elijah, didn't he pray to God? And I, even I only, am left in 1 Kings chapter 19, 14. Habakkuk, the, the one that we read about just earlier, prayed a couple of chapters before that. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry? For help, and you will not hear. Or, or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contentions arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice go forth perverted. That's Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2 through 3. We are not the first to struggle with the reality of this world and all of its perverse sins and skewed justice and persecution of the righteous, especially ones that are actively trying to live according to God's will. God knows all of this. And there's no doubt about whether or not God is aware of of what our struggles are or what's going on in our hearts. He is omniscient after all. However, we should not take for granted the avenue that we have in prayer, in taking things up to God when we are struggling, when we are in pain, when we are hurt. God wants us to find Him. Even the greatest of greats, Jesus prayed for the cup to pass from Him. But as long as it was according to the Father's will. Our second point is that Jeremiah was not rebuked for his prayers. Something to notice in Jeremiah chapter 15 verses 19 through 21 is that God does not rebuke Jeremiah for bringing to him these questions and complaints. Instead of punishing Jeremiah for struggling with his understanding of God's divine plans, God simply inspires courage and more faith through his promises. In fact, none of the examples that we looked at like David and Elijah, were rebuked for asking these difficult questions. This tells us that God doesn't just want blind and mindless faith, drones just doing whatever, going on autopilot. He wants us to make conscientious decisions about our hearts to obey Him. Conscious. Part of that cognitive process is wrestling with questions like, why is there suffering in the world? Why? Or why am I hurt even though I am doing right? Even though I walk in God's righteous path. Whenever people of God cry out to God about their frustrations and sorrows, God does not punish them ever for having these emotions. God is a gracious and merciful and loving Father. Instead, He helps those who are struggling through these emotions in a healthy way. Explaining to them patiently that these things are necessary Parts of God's greater scheme for mankind's salvation. 
And didn't we, didn't, don't we know that Jesus knows our human condition? Jesus knew the, the sufferings that we engage in and, 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 and that we run into in our lives. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 18, it tells us that Jesus himself has suffered and was tempted. And he is able to help those who are being tempted. Because of that, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 through 16 also tells us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. This is precisely why we are able to approach God with confidence that we will receive mercy and grace in our times of need. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11, and also Mark chapter 1, verse 13, and Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 13, we see that Jesus was indeed tempted. But he didn't sin. But he does know what it is like for us when we are tempted. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, and Luke chapter 9, verse 58, Jesus says, Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You think Jesus knew hardship? You think Jesus knew about poverty? About the physical struggles of this life? Hunger? Fatigue? Jesus knew rejection. John chapter 6, verse 66. He was mocked. Mark chapter 15, verse 19. He was disappointed. Luke chapter 13, verse 34. He was lonely. Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. When we proclaim the message of God like the prophets of prophets like Jeremiah did, we are bound to come face to face with many hardships and rejection, indifference, outright opposition. What did Jesus say in John chapter 15, verse 18? The world hated Jesus first. We ought not to be surprised when we face those things. Jeremiah's words fell on many, many deaf ears. And in his lifetime, he watched judgment happen. The judgment about which he prophesied and preached to his people. And it came true in a brutal and sorrowful years of exile and captivity. When we are faced with disappointments and pain, as we try to live according to the will of God, and as we try to evangelize and to expand the kingdom, we must remember to approach God with confidence, with our shortcomings, with our sorrows, with our pain. God does not punish the hurt and confused. That is not the God that we worship. That is not our Father. He embraces them with love and grace for His own Son Himself knows what it means to be subject to the sorrows of this life, to the human conditions. Third reminder is that Jeremiah was promised deliverance. Something my class uh, on Wednesday nights uh, on the Minor Prophets that's a plug-in. Uh, if you want to learn more about the Minor Prophets, join us <laughs> on Wednesday nights. We've been examining this concept of future hope that is sprinkled throughout the otherwise gloomy and doomish series of prophecies of judgment and, and, and righteousness and justice coming back. The prophets are books that does exactly that, right? They're, they prophesy. Part of the idea of judgment is that the wrongdoers will pay their due 
when the time has come, when time comes for God to say, hey, this is en- like, that's enough. And while that seems like a sad message, while that seems like doom and gloom, as we say, for those who are righteous in the sight of the Lord, it should be a message of hope, of relief, and gladness. For someone like Jeremiah, who endured much for the sake of the Lord, and the hopeful restoration of Israel back to God, pain and suffering was definitely not a stranger. We know that for sure. However, God promised Jeremiah deliverance. That was God's answer to Jeremiah's complaint, in fact. Instead of rebuking Jeremiah for not understanding, God rather planted a seed of hope for the future glory. And I will make you, this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you. And deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. That's our passage for today. This is a repeated motif in in the book of Jeremiah where God promises Jeremiah deliverance. The first appearance of this idea of deliverance can be found all the way back in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 8. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you. Shortly after in Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 19, God says again, they will fight against you. But they shall not prevail against you for I am with you to deliver you. This is repeated, obviously, in Jeremiah 15, but also in in chapter 39, verse 17. But I will deliver you on that day, declares the Lord, and you shall not be given into the hands of the men of whom you are afraid. Every time God addressed Jeremiah and, and, and his ministry to the wicked people, the people who to whom he was to proclaim the word of God, God promised Jeremiah. He gave him an incentive. He gave him hope. He said, yeah, you're going to face sufferings. God didn't promise Jeremiah that he will take away the pain, that he will will wipe away the sufferings, and that he won't face opposition. No, but God strengthened him by promising him something even better in the future. That was God's answer to Jeremiah when he struggled in the the low moments of his ministry, when Jeremiah had to face ridiculous odds for the sake of doing the will of God, he didn't just simply help Jeremiah feel better. He didn't just make him feel better. No, he helped Jeremiah to flip everything 180 degrees and put hope in his heart, which is the confidence that Jeremiah often needed to live the kind of evangelistic life that he lived, of which we try to imitate. When things look bleak and the walls seem to be closing in on us, a beautiful and much-needed reminder for everyone is that God is a God of fulfilled promises. Many things can change and will, but that will not. God will not change. His word is absolute. God's promise of deliverance was not that of this world. Again, God didn't promise Jeremiah that he won't suffer, that he will not see pain, that he will not hurt. And even today, God doesn't promise us that we won't ever hurt, that we will never see pain, and that we will never face opposition when we try to live according to the will of God. 
But when we are in a place like where Jeremiah stood, God promises us deliverance. The thing is, will we remember the promises of God and how they are always fulfilled? Will we remember that though God will not make our lives easy for us, that He will inspire us and strengthen us with the Spirit, putting hope in our hearts for the better eternity? I hope that that is always in our mind, in our hearts. That this is just a simple reminder of something that we do every day. We must remember that our faith does not give us an exemption to the human hardship. Sorrow, disappointments, rejection, hurt, suffering. All these things are still present in our lives today. And they will be for the rest of the time that we spend here on this earth. Especially if we are to live a life that is contrary to the currents of this world. True to the calling that we have received from God. We know this very well. Even today there are people sitting in these very pews who again are tired, who are, who are exhausted spiritually and physically in having to fight off the temptations and the doubts in our minds. And especially the oppositions that we often face when we try to proclaim the good news and call people to a repentant life like Jeremiah did. We are often met with fierce opposition and sometimes even hatred. And that is all the more true today. That quote's from Bruce Lee. (laughs) Do not pray for an easy life. Pray for the strength to endure a difficult one. Now, he's a Hollywood star, but uh, this notion is biblical, I believe. When we are faced with the difficulties of living out the will of God in this treacherous world, when we are faced with with the hardships and weights that, that make our knees buckle, when we are faced with disappointments from our very own brothers and sisters and neighbors, let us remember to be vocal to God about our struggles. Let us remember that also we are promised forgiveness and comfort that God will not punish us when we are confused, that when we are trying to do better, that when we are trying to understand, God will not punish us for coming to Him for these things. And let us also remember always that God promises us deliverance and that God is a God of fulfilled promises. That at the end of this long and difficult journey, that there is a price to be paid by those who refuse to obey God and an eternal reward to be earned by the ones who live according to His will. God is here for you. And and to access this kind of forgiveness and grace and love, one must do so through Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6. Why won't you take hold of it today? Through conviction, confession, and the watery grave of baptism. And if you are in Christ, if you have put, your, put Christ on through baptism, but you have struggled, much like Jeremiah, you have seen hardship, you have felt pain, you have been hurt, and you keep asking yourself in your heart, God, why must it be so? And you're struggling. Don't let that go. 
Don't let that fester in your heart. Be like Jeremiah. Be open. Be transparent. Take it up to God. Because God is waiting for you to talk to Him. God is waiting for you to open up to Him. Not only that, we, brothers and sisters in Christ, the spiritual family, we are waiting to embrace you as you make right of any wrongs. Jeremiah teaches us that our shortcomings are not something to be ashamed of. Our human condition, our imperfections are not something to be embarrassed about in front of God and in front of our brothers and sisters. But rather, it ought to be an occasion, a lesson in humility, where we swallow our pride and take it up to God, knowing that He will give us relief. Whatever it is that you need, We can't help you if you don't make it known. But God knows, and He is there with you all the time. There are many ways that you can respond, but whatever it is, whatever that may look like, it is our prayer, it is my prayer, that you will not just let that go, that you will not just let that sit in your heart. If you have struggles, if you have sufferings, let it be known to God. Do not hold it in. And if you're comfortable enough, let us know. And we are ready to embrace you and to love you and to pray for you and to do whatever we can to help you with what you're struggling with. Won't you make your needs known this morning as we stand and sing?